This is Channel 253. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is the We Art Tacoma podcast. And welcome back to another episode of We Art Tacoma. This is your host, Eric Hanberg. I'm producer Doug. How are you, producer Doug? I'm fabulous today. It's a beautiful day. It's life is a barrel of monkeys. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are talking to uh, Dan Friday, who is a Native American glass artist. And I really like this conversation um, about glass art. It's something that we talk you know, obviously a lot about in Tacoma. But I'm also really excited about it because of the In the Spirit Spirit Contemporary Native Arts Festival, which is this weekend between all three museums, the History Museum, the Glass Museum, Museum of Glass, excuse me, and the Tacoma Art Museum. And uh, he has a piece in there. So we talk about both his art and the event this weekend. Let's give it a listen. All right. I am uh, on the line here with Dan Friday, a uh, local uh, Puget Sound glass artist. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Uh, well, thanks for having me. I'm grateful to be here uh, on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get started in glass art? Um, well, I was a mechanic at the time, and I had a friend in the business. Uh, his mom worked at a glass factory, and uh, just by proxy, kind of a, being in Seattle, I walked into a glass shop, and not really knowing what to expect, I didn't <clears throat> expect to change the path of my life like that but when I saw glass blowing I knew it's something I had to do and uh, kind of shelved all my other plans and just kind of switched gears into doing that I knew that whatever it takes I wanted to keep doing it <laughs> what what is it do you think is it, is it the heat is it uh, the actual process of creation or is it what you get out of it that, that really draws you into it well I mean it's really tactile there's a lot of a lot of things going on like I said I'd always work with my hands and I always found that satisfying. Uh, working on cars was more like fixing people's problems. I was really drawn to the, the act of creating something. And uh, I mean, when I walked into a factory at first, I was really literally ready to just make paperweights and ornaments and that sort of, you know, uh, gift shop item. Sure. Even that just really appealed to me, yeah. And 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 you moved on from that to I guess you know I might call it fine art. Uh, I was yeah like, yeah. There, there's some beautiful pieces um, on on your website that I was looking at, and then of course you have a, a piece in the uh, in the in the spirit exhibit this week. Um, you have one in particular that just is very striking. It's a I guess it's a, a glass skull. Um, do you want to say anything about that? I, I find it just riveting. Yeah, it's uh, really. Uh, technologically hard thing to make. It's, I mean, it's kind of pushing the envelope of what you can do on the end of a blowpipe. It's glass sculpting. It's not molded. You may have seen like a glass skull vodka bottle or something along the lines like that. A lot of things that are cast, but that's uh, freehand sculpting. Um, I really do enjoy the challenge of it, but it's it's hard to, uh, I mean, skulls are one of those things people are just fascinated by too. Right. Uh, with that piece, I kind of... Uh, it's called the Sailor Spirit, and it's kind of uh, from a series that we. It's called We Are Still Here, 
and it's kind of a lot of them they have like native headdresses of the era area and uh yeah so it's that was kind of my way to kind of take a skull and then add a, you know that as you can see it's really colorful and i really uh tend to add a lot of color to my work a lot of typical pacific northwest art tends to be like red black and white uh the more contemporary stuff has uh blue or, you know like a little hint of turquoise or yellow or maybe green um but the real contempt the, the most recent stuff has quite a bit of colors and glass has this huge color palette so i've just kind of there's a lot of color explosion going on in my studio that's pretty cool um tell me about your studio i'm i'm just fascinated that that anyone can make having a, a glass studio work these days i've been in them before i mean they're they're hot you know you've got uh, natural gas, I, I think it is fueling those those furnaces. How does how does that work? Is how did you is, start that process? Well, it, you definitely start small, and uh, you know I'm still affiliated with some public glass working spaces. You know, a lot of times glass shops will be a co op, mm. uh, or you'll work at a place like the Tacoma Museum of Glass. Yep. Uh, you know that gives glass artists a residence. You know, I just finished my residence there last. Uh, two weeks ago, and you know they make available all these resources that are at a scale that's really hard for an independent glass artist to get. I think what is kind of really the the end of the American studio art glass movement is that they've taken this thing that has only been available in factories to designers and like you know Bouvier, Toso, Vanini, all these really big factories in Europe and you know even in Eastern Europe and kind of given glass as an art medium to the individual practitioner um, instead of just a fabricator and a designer. And that's that's a large part of the studio art glass movement, and it really starts in, like, these small garages and home, you know, defunct little studios. Yeah, um, I kind of have a high-tech defunct studio in, in my studio in Shoreline. <laughs> um, but I, I do also rent larger-scale shops. Uh, you know, working at Dale's over the years, he kind of has the the pinnacle of, of glass hot shop technology and places like the Tacoma Museum of Glass as well. It's just kind of, you know, they've got everything and something that one person is, it's a bit much for any independent artist to kind of own. Yeah, I believe it. When you were working with Dale, was, was that here in Tacoma or was that in one of his, uh, when he moved to Seattle? Well, I started working for uh, Mr. Chihuly in 1999. Um, I still work for Dale because it's, uh, you know, he's been a great mentor and, uh, you know, I've learned a lot of the ins and outs of the business and kind of the behind the scenes and just kind of watching his practice using glass, but also other mediums just as a way to kind of, uh, you know, tying in the drawings and, and kind of using that to, to figure out some of your glass designs before you spend all the energy in the hot shop. Yeah, but again, it's it's quite a large operation. You know, his working for Dale's great. Um, you know, his paychecks don't bounce. And it's also <laughs> nice to have, it, That's a, have a, a paycheck coming in while you're figuring out your own art career and uh, that's a thing, or your art practice, I should say. Yeah. Uh, but at this point, I've kind of got a little bit of steam going right now. That's wonderful. I, I feel like uh, there, there there's got to be quite a glass community here in the Northwest, you know, where, where it seems, it seems from the outside, it seems like, you know, I had no idea until, you know, the museum of glass opened 
that there was such uh, different kinds of glass making that was happening um, and how much of it is centered here. And I'm just curious how you view this this local community of, of glass makers. How, do you, how would you put that into context for a listener? Well, it's, I mean, it is unique and this is lofty for sure, but to say that the Renaissance was kind of an, a neighborhood or a, a region in a in a, time, a certain time frame, uh, I wouldn't. You know, I mean, that's that's pretty lofty to compare glass to that. But I definitely, this is where people come to make glass. Yeah. Um, if you get a degree in glass at some other university in the country, you often end up, uh, you know, just by you know the proximity to Pilchuck, the glass school, uh, the glass hot shop scene in Seattle, Tacoma as well. Um, you know, that's where Dale's from is Tacoma. So he has a had a large hand in yep. making the Tacoma Glass Museum. We're we're well aware of Dale Chihuly here. You can't can't escape him in Tacoma. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, it's unavoidable. It's everywhere. And yeah. that's, uh I noticed that when I was just staying uh, down there for my residency. It's, it's great to see glass in so many storefronts and restaurants and the lighting and uh, you know it's definitely something that is a Northwest thing at this point. I think you know the the temperature lends itself to it. Uh, you know I've worked at a studios down in Tacoma, the M space or two, five, three, there's a bunch of other smaller shops too, not just the museum of glass. And, and you really need that community as like a pool of workers because, you know, it's, I like to use the analogy of uh, a glass production team as like being in a band. Mm. Like everybody's got to kind of, kind of got to be on key. Uh, you know, you get, it, there's a big timing thing and, uh, it's one of those things. If you don't do it for six weeks or six months, you you feel it. It's one of those things. You you need to keep your chops or keep you know practice or yeah. keep your hands fresh. Yeah. So that's a, I think a lot of reason why this community as a whole, nowhere else in the country that you work, could you have a couple people call in sick or have something go south and like replace people within a day and a phone call. It's just because there's this large community of glass artists here, which really, like I said, it just really lends itself to, to making glass art. Absolutely. That's very cool. What would you tell someone who was, uh, whether, a, you know, a youth or an adult who was thinking about breaking into glass, what would you tell them if they wanted to get started, you know, learning what it's like? Like I did a, you know, I went to M space and I blew a glass ornament and it was really cool, but it was kind of a one-off. Uh, if someone were inspired by something like that, what should they do next? Well, um, I, I, you know, I, what I think is really cool about glass is that it has this old world sort of like mentor and apprentice. It's one of those things where you really need to spend time in a studio. It can take, you know, just a few years to become proficient in it. And so if you can somehow swing a night shift or a, a side job just where you're keeping the pipe in your hand, uh, because I tell a lot of my students, like, uh, save your sketchbook from the first year of working in glass because you're going to have ideas that won't be limited by what you can make. You'll mm. have these like things that aren't viewed for, through this lens of like, well, what can I physically get off the pipe? Uh, because it does take a few years to kind of, uh, to kind of get the chops to, to figure some of your own stuff out. But in the meantime, working for someone else or working in a factory, like where I started, it kind of, um, it gives you a broad kind of overview of a lot of it, just the techniques, you know, just trying to like, again, I'll always use the music analogy, just kind of figuring out the chords, man. And, yeah. uh, 
Yeah. So there's a lot of that. Um, I'd say, and, you know, taking class at, uh, Pilchuck or Pratt or, um, any of these, these places are, you know, are great, but you also, it's nice to, uh, if you're, if you're going to swing it, go work for somebody as an apprentice or, you know, I mean, the nice thing about being 20 when I started was I was at that place in my life where I had some free time and right. I could really kind of fulfill that like apprentice role where I showed up and swing doors or sweep the floor and kind of help yeah. out on the side. It sounds like it's kind of got to be a little bit of a calling for someone to, to really uh, want to make it work. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I definitely had that calling. And for me, when people see it and don't fall in love with it, I don't understand. I'm like, what, you <laughs> see this? <laughs> how do you not want to do this? Uh, forever. You know, it's a, yeah, forever. Um, yeah, and I, I still, I'm really passionate about it. I, I really do love, you'll find that it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't be where it is today without a lot of passionate people along the way Yeah, via Pilchuck, just the community itself, the museum of glass. Uh, you know, there's, they've been really supportive of my career and kind of helped me with a lot of milestones along the way. I've actually got that panel that is tomorrow at two during the, in the spirit kind of celebration. And it'll be Preston Singletary, who's been another mentor for me. And, uh, Hoana, uh, Hala Old Peter, uh, or Hala Peterson, um, and then a couple other people just working in glass as uh, native artists. So, uh, yeah, I'm honored to be on that panel. Yeah, and uh, actually that's a, a good opportunity uh, for us to take a break, and then when we come back, let's talk about uh, that, uh, you know, the event that's coming up uh, this weekend within the spirit. Yeah, oh, okay. absolutely. Okay, we'll take a quick break, and then when we come back, let's talk about the event. This is Nate Bowling, host of the Nerd Farmer podcast on the Channel 253 network. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. Alaska is our hometown airline. They remember the TAC and SeaTac, if you know what I mean. Just the other day, I saw Alaska running an ad in a local magazine with the tagline, fly like the mountain is out. If Alaska Airlines can be South Sound proud, we can be too, and choose our local airline. I know of people who work at Alaska, I bet you do too. Sometimes I see them when I fly, and sometimes I see them out and about enjoying life in the 253. And what's awesome is Alaska is the best airline around. Local and the best way to fly, that's an easy choice to make. I'm Nate Bowling, Alaska Airlines MVP Gold, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Okay, so uh, we are back with uh, Dan Friday, a Native American glass artist, and he's going to be participating in an event this weekend in Tacoma called in the spirit, which is, uh, I believe, the 14th year that they've been doing this celebration of Native cultures. Uh, there's a juried art exhibit at the Washington State History Museum that will end this weekend. Um, but then there's also this free cultural festival, indoor-outdoor. All three main museums in Tacoma, the History Museum, the Art Museum, and the Museum of Glass will all be free for the day and have Native art ex- exhibitions. Um, Dan, uh, have you participated in this in this event before? No, this is uh, going to be my first time, and I'm honored to be in it. There's there's quite a bit of uh, great names, and the work is really really strong. Yeah, i i have uh, uh, I haven't been to the event, but I, I have definitely toured uh, the exhibit before, and to me, it's just 
fascinating to see the contemporary work that's happening. I think uh, previously, you know, if you had talked about um, Native American art, I would have had uh, like it would have been like as a history, you know, like, well, what did Native Americans produce, you know, before? And this really just opened my eyes to that, uh, to a really vibrant art scene that I, I just wasn't aware of until this exhibit. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, natives are a resourceful bunch and uh, use definitely what is ever at their ever at their their fingertips there. You you're a member of, of uh the, the Lumi Nation, is that correct? Yeah, Lumi Nation. Lummy. Um yeah, right up there, right across the Bellingham Bay. Mm-hmm. And uh in the end of the San Juan Islands there's a Lummi Island and then right across uh Hales Pass right there is uh the Lummi Indian Reservation. How does how does that inform your art? Do you think are are you talking to members of of the Lummi Nation? Are you you know talking outside of it? How do you think about that? Well, definitely, uh, you know, and I, there's a lot of artists in my family. You know, I've uh, and in the community, um, there's always been a, a strong sense of making things uh, with our hands. My great grandfather uh, Joseph Hilaire, or Quilquot, was. Uh, a totem pole carver in the area and uh you know just always knowing that and i've always i've always been fascinated by that and uh you know i've i've always been involved in the arts growing up i went to a lot of alternative art schools and uh the reality of being an artist kind of didn't really seem like it was very feasible as i kind of needed to eat like today um so <laughs> when i found this job i wasn't really sure that there was going to be a path in the arts for me. And then, uh, somewhere along the way, uh, Fran James or Aunt Fran, uh, was a big inspiration in me kind of just really heading down the path on my own work. And she's, uh, she was a really prominent, uh, basket weaver and, uh, Coast Salish blanket maker, like Mm. a, a weaver. And, uh, you know, she's just somebody in the community that was really just a pillar of, you know, not just, uh, the, the art making and, uh, you know, she was just a really big purveyor of the language and just the culture. And, uh, yeah, I've always, yeah, I've always been drawn to that. Um, you know, again, I, like we said, uh, native people are always been so resourceful and using whatever was available in their work. And, you know, I, we're having this talk about natives in glass and I've always thought about how, you know, just even some of the first glass furnaces in America, were to create wampum uh, or glass beads to trade oh. with the Plains Indians. And as soon as uh, they had beads at the ready, you know, Native people were really quick to pick that up and kind of create, you know, there's a long legacy of, of Native beading. And I'd say that that's glass art too, just, the, you know, the, uh, strictly from a media sense that glass beads are, sure. you know, another form of glass art. And uh, as soon as uh, totem pole carvers could get steel blades, they were really quick to pick that up, too. Yep. And, uh, you know, I think that just that kind of speaks to the resourcefulness of, uh, of the Native creators and artists. Um, yeah. But, and then I guess just to follow up with the second part of your question, like, so how does it inform me? It really, um, you know, I, I feel like you do need to study the works, uh, you, you know, of your... Uh, forefathers and uh just kind of you know the legacy but you kind of reach uh what i've heard dempsey bob call the ancestral wall and it's not that we uh 
you know, as current contemporary Native artists, we're not trying to exactly replicate what's already been made. You know, there's a level of mastery, but it's the end goal, I don't think, should be to just just be able to make a, a perfect replica of something that's already been made. And I feel like trying to find your own voice in whatever you do, if it's glass or carving or uh, basketry, I think that's the goal for any artist is to kind of try and find their voice in the medium that they're using. Yeah, that's really well said. So this event, uh, I think it's going to be really exciting. There's a a native arts market. There's a fashion show, weaving, which you've mentioned, um, lots of music, and then your panel um, uh, at 2 o'clock tomorrow, Saturday, uh, that's moderated by Preston Singletary, uh, who we're going to talk to on the podcast in a week or two. Um, That's talking about contemporary uh, native art. Um, I think one of the things I, I will also just mention here, just uh, that, so people should know, in the in the uh, exhibit that's tied to this at the History Museum, um, as I mentioned, it was a juried art show, and uh, your piece, Full Circle Totem, uh, won the Spirit of the Northwest Award. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you very much, Eric. Yeah. Uh, I was I was looking at it and I was trying. How would you describe that? It, it, I was going to say like maybe like a. I was going to say vase, but it doesn't have a top. So how would you describe that? Uh, what what is it exactly? Well, it's so it's in two parts. Uh, a lot of the sculpture I do in glass is solid sculpted, mm. um, and that means there's not an interior bubble or a hollow cavity. Which is when you do it that way, it allows you to make things kind of at a larger scale. Got it. Because it's, you know, the, the more weight you add, the heavier the glass gets. And even a, a 25 or 30 pound piece, you put that on the end of a pipe and it really becomes tricky to kind of wrangle. And so the piece in the exhibit at the Washington State History Museum uh, is, is really a large piece. You know, anything that's over three feet uh, yeah. tall in, in the glass world is, is pretty big yeah. when it's made, handmade off the pipe like that. And so, there's a large a bubble in the base on the bottom. Yep. And then that's just kind of, that's a, a full circle totem. And, uh, you know, again, like I have, uh, I've always been inspired by uh, great grandpa's totem poles. And this one is kind of the story I'm telling with mine is the, the life cycle of the salmon, the cedar tree and the bear. And I think a lot when they're going to restore these uh, spawning grounds for salmon, they realize that they need to not log up to the edge of the rivers. Uh, and then to let to give the wildlife access to the banks, uh, all the carcasses that the wildlife leaves, uh, particularly the bears, along the banks, really uh, fertilize the trees, kind of making their hold on the riverbank stronger, also creating these great spawning beds. So it's just this symbiotic sort of, the name of the piece is full circle, uh, just this full circle sort of like, you know, the group effort to, to make this great area and you can't have sort of one without the other. And, uh, I mean, I think that's really, they're finding that like in Bristol Bay, Alaska, or any of these places where they're really trying to protect the salmon spawning grounds, that these are, you know, you need vegetation along the river. It can't be all, uh, uh, cattle land, you know, and you need to have the wildlife needs to have access to it because they all play a part in kind of making a, a good ecosystem for that. Yeah. Well, I would encourage all of our listeners to uh, go check out the event this weekend. Um, It might be uh, a little wet, so it's not a time to be at the beach. You should be in downtown Tacoma uh, checking out uh, In the Spirit at the three different museums, the festival plus the exhibits. 
And uh, thank you, Dan, for uh, sharing your time with us today on the podcast. Absolutely, Eric. Yeah, Tacoma is going off. I, th- I think everybody should take a chance to stop by. Absolutely. Well, thanks again so much. Yeah, take care. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.